This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. Welcome back, mamas. Thanks for tuning in this week. Before I dive into my introduction, I just want to remind you, if you haven't heard yet, back on episode 7, I interviewed the founder and director of Hypnobabies. Her name is Carrie Tushoff, and she was awesome and gave us a promo code, our own special promo code just for my listeners. So go ahead and check out the show notes where I have a link to the website, and if you use the code PUMPINGPODCAST at checkout, you'll get 20% off. And there's tracks for everything all types of hypnobirthing, all types of sleep, toddler rest. I think there's even a stop smoking. So go check it out if you haven't. This week, I'm so excited to share with you an episode with not one, but three mamas. This was my first group interview and we just had a ball. We had so much fun chatting. It was a blast. This week, I chat with three mamas in academia. These are three professors from the University of Central Florida. They are associate professors, assistant professors, and professors. They work so hard juggling their kids at school and their real kids at home, and it was just a blast to sit down and chat with them. And I hope you enjoy their story as well. Ladies, how are you? I'm really, really excited that we get to talk today, especially because I don't have one mama. I don't have two mamas, but I have three. And this is a first for me. I'm so excited. Yes. Hello. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. This is so fun. So before we get started, can you all just take a moment to explain where you're joining us from and introduce the three of you? Well, I'm Elizabeth Brindell Horn, and I'm here. We're all here from Orlando, Florida. All I'm with jealous. Nice and warm. It's it's really nice this time of year, and uh, we're all with the University of Central Florida. I'm an assistant professor in theater for young audiences. And I'm Tara Snyder. Uh, I'm an associate professor of musical theater voice. And I'm Vivian Majkowski, and I'm an associate professor or voice and speech for acting. I love that. So today, basically the theme of our conversation is women in academia who are mamas. Um, I have not had any sort of mothers in higher education at all, I don't think. So this is really interesting to talk about. And I think a lot of the moms that I've been talking to recently kind of have somewhat of a regular schedule. Some of them have, you know, a day job, of course, but for you guys, you have to show up just as much for your students as you do for your kids, which is probably quite a challenge. And we'll get into that. Um, So just to start us off, I would love for each of you to bring us through and just tell us the life about before you became a mom and then going into a mom. And Vivian, I know, has to leave us a little bit early. So we'll have her go first and just bring us back to that time when you didn't have any kids. What was life like? And then um, who made you a mama? Oh, my gosh. Um, Wow. Uh, It's so great to (laughs) go back and think about this because it feels (laughs) like there was no time before children. (laughs) Um, and, uh, before children, uh, I was actually at another university and, um, with a free schedule, I was able to freelance incredibly easy. I'm, I'm also a dialect coach for film and television. And so a project called up and I was like, yes, yeah, bye. Um, out the door. 
um, any projects that came up, any, um, we need you to stay over. I was like, oh, I'll do it. I, I don't have any kids. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, you have the child and then that changes 180 degrees. And so, were you in Florida at the time? No, I was um, in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, okay. And was, were you with your partner at the time as well? I don't have a partner. My birth story is completely singular. I love that. Yeah, the journey took about seven years, um, and uh, there was a person um, involved for a while, and then there wasn't, um, and I decided to continue anyway. So she is IVF, 100% mine. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was a big decision. So how did, so, okay, so you're, you're freelancing, you're working at the school, and then did you find that it was just the right time for you to start to have a baby and start that life of a family or did you thought about it for a long time? Long, long time. Like I said, about seven years wanting to have a child. Um, and then it sort of got down to a deadline. <laughs> and um, I was like, wow, that curtain's got to go up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I completely did it on my own and, um, Crazy thing is, is I wasn't thinking about time at all in terms of like when to have the baby. I was like, let's just have it now. Let's doctor. Let's just, I don't, I don't know how many times we have to do this, but we're going to work until it happens. And um, miraculously it happened where I got pregnant and then I gave birth two weeks after school ended. Wow. Oh. And how perfect. Cause then you had the summer. <laughs> and then I had the summer, which was amazing. <sighs> But I, that was not planned. I mean, honestly, it wasn't planned. Like I was just like, just keep them coming, keep them coming. <laughs> exactly. And um, the one that took was the one in September that put my birth in June. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so how old is, it's a baby girl? Yes. And so she's How three. old is she? She's three. She'll be three and a half in December. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I love that story. And that makes your story, I think, even... Oh, even harder to balance because being a single mom and not only a single mom, but going through pregnancy alone and then moving into academia. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. So I applaud you. <laughs> Thank you. But it's crazy. And I know that, that the other two women will attest to this, right? It's, it's There's no other choice, right? I mean, you become a mom and then every, you make everything work, you know, it's yeah. just, just do it. And that's what I think is so spectacular about motherhood. I agree. I agree. Tara, how about you? Um, I, so this is my ninth year at the University of Central Florida. And I was actually in the last year of getting my um, tenure, which is in, you know, for those listening who aren't in academia, that's basically the, the guarantee that you have a job for the rest of your life and that you'll keep contributing to the university. But the tenure process is quite a grind in terms of the expectations of things that you're doing in your field. Um, so I was in the last year of that, which is kind of the year where all of the information you've submitted is being looked at by lots of committees. So I found out I was pregnant in February of 2017, but my tenure wasn't going to be approved until April. And so I was very careful not to really let anybody know. Um, I did have to tell my supervisor because we were going to have to see about someone to take my place in the fall of that coming year. 
but I was very careful and kept it close to the chest because there is a little bit of a worry that what if they found out and they decided to hold that against me and not grant my tenure because I'm not a serious enough academic, um, which shouldn't be a thing, but. Of course. And now like interrupting your story a little bit. Um, do you, have you heard of stories like that? Like moms in academia that just kind of get screwed over and yeah, like, I, it's so not fair. I mean, this goes much higher much more political than this podcast goes, but <laughs> um, early on uh, in my time here, there we have a center for the success of women faculty and they had a book club. And one of the books that they read early on was this book called Mama PhD. And so I read it and it was stories of women in academia, either as graduate students or faculty and their experiences. And many of them who had young children, um, either while they were in graduate school or as they were in, especially a tenure process, you know, some were successful, but talked about how hard it was, but some basically just were kind of washed out of the system because they couldn't get help with the schedule or the demands, or, you know, it was putting too much pressure on them and their families. So, you know, I had read about stories of women where it was not successful and some of it came down to, um, colleagues, many of whom were males, some who were female, because it talked about, you know, females who discriminated against other females for making that choice who didn't have any children. So I had read about those kinds of stories. So that was playing in my mind and, you know, hoping that, well, hopefully this isn't a thing, but I also made sure it was funny the week that I knew the week that I got the letter saying your tenure has been approved later that same week. I went, Oh, and by the way, I'm pregnant. So <laughs> So that's that that's pre pre little man. So now Robbie just turned two this past weekend. Oh, I was looking on your Instagram at all of the pictures of him. He's just a cutie. He is. He's a sweet little guy too. <laughs> uh, and how about you, Elizabeth? Well, I have two kids. I have a five-year-old named Ansley and an almost seven-month-old named Nolan. And they are both uh, my rainbow babies. They're both my miracles. And I uh, had actually a career shift when my first um, baby, when my daughter was about a year old. Um, I was previously a high school theater teacher um, and I taught alongside my husband. We ran a theater program together. Um, and uh, so the shift into academia, as stressful as it is for me, it also opened up um, some real possibilities for me because in the high school setting, I was consistently teaching from seven to three every day. I was consistently having rehearsals until six o'clock and my daughter was in daycare, you know, 11 hours a day. And then we were often taking her back for evenings or weekends to work at the school with us. Uh, and so uh, for me, the, the shift into higher ed, um, I wasn't necessarily pursuing it. It kind of pursued me, which is an incredible gift. And um, it couldn't have come at a better time uh, because now I feel, um, you know, there's, there's some of the perks of academia are choosing your own creative work and choosing your own office hours and having some flexibility in your teaching schedule. So I, I've really um, enjoyed that shift career-wise. Um, but to speak to some of the things that Tara was speaking about, for me, I'm kind of having a, a different experience, right? Because I started the tenure process 
with a one-year-old. And now I go up for tenure at the beginning of next year when my son will be a little bit over a year. Um, so for me, you know, there was no hiding my pregnancy. <laughs> so I am, I am uh, consistently seeing what I do as a form of activism. I see it as a form of activism to um, that I negotiated a work schedule uh, where my son could be with me two days a week. And so I consider it a form of activism every time I bring him into work with me, every time I put a sign on my door that says that I'm pumping, I'm consistently yeah, uh, reminding mothers exist in this space. Um, and I do also want to share, uh, we have uh, a, a colleague who is a mother with older children who has done really well with um, with working her way up, uh, but does speak about a time, you know, not that long ago, about 17 years ago when she had a kid and was um, taking, a, she was on a conference call in the hospital. She had to pay for her own adjunct faculty to cover her class. Oh she my goodness. Off of work. She was getting um, parking tickets when she, in the third trimester, because at the time there was not uh, designated parking for expectant mothers, you know, a lot of different ways that um, the culture of not creating space for, for mothers and parents is, um, uh, has shifted, but definitely space for us to continue making progress. Well, it's good to hear that there has been some improvement, but yeah, I feel like with anything like that, there can always be improvement, you know? And I feel like I listened to this, another amazing podcast. It's called Difficult Women. Um, My friend Marie is on it with uh, her friend Katie. And it's a very feminist podcast. It talks all about women and these exact issues that that we're discussing. And I often find that those in power, whether they are male or whether they are maybe females without children, just don't get it. And so as more of you who are moms and are women rise to the top and are in control, you'll make sure that there's a place to pump. You'll make sure that there's parking spots, right? I mean, that just seems like something that you would make happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think more so make happen because it would be in the forefront of your mind. So on the one hand, it's like we can't blame, we have to educate. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so before we dive a little bit more into the academia convo, um, just anyone can dive in and you can say whatever you want at any time. But tell me, what was your birth and pregnancy like? Did you all have easy journeys? Did you struggle through? What was your birth and pregnancy like? Sure. Um, Mine, uh, fantastically easy, the pregnancy. I was so blessed. Um, I mean, I'm much older. I was considered an at-risk pregnancy. And then I would go into my OBGYN and she'd be like, there are 26 year olds who are not having as good pregnancy as you are. Um, Well, and after waiting seven years and wanting this, I think you deserved that. (laughs) And I think too, my body was like, yay. (laughs) Um, Also being um, in the theater and academia, we're moving all the time. We're not just sitting down on our feet. We are kind of blessed that we get to have a full body experience in our work. Um, and 
that I think made the pregnancy a lot easier. I was directing a show while I was pregnant. So my child was listening to Julius Caesar like um, all day. <laughs> um, and uh, so the pregnancy was great. And I decided to do an all natural birth, like not even ibuprofen. Wow. And, good um, and as an at risk pregnancy, everyone was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And did you do natural at home or natural in the hospital? I wanted to do natural at home, but the health insurance wouldn't let me. Yep. Uh huh. Wouldn't let me. So uh, I had to go into a hospital, um, which I was very upset about, actually, because mm. uh, I'm a very holistic person. I always try Eastern modalities before I go into my Western yeah. world. And I'm actually a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine um, as oh, well. Me. And, um, but I was there in, you know, in the hospital with a doula and a fabulous OBGYN who was so supportive. Oh, that's um, good. At least if you had to be in the hospital. That's yeah. yeah. I had an anesthesiologist come in three times. Because we were key. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you yeah, sure? Exactly. Three times. The last time I was like, get out. <laughs> His voice from deep inside. He was like, okay, 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 okay. I was like, You're not going to change my mind. Um, and then because it was a natural birth, um, I think in a city that, a small town, Savannah, Georgia, um, there were actually nurses in my room who had never seen a birth without any aid. Wow. That's unreal. I had seven nurses in my room with me watching. Yeah. And as I've been hearing from these different mamas, it's like the most important thing is that you did have that strength to say like, nope, this is my plan. This is what I want. And I'm sticking to it. And you had, it seems like you had the support of a doula too, to at least guide you if you were, you know, cause oftentimes I've heard that you kind of get into too much pain and overwhelm and you just can't handle it. So then you can get influenced, but you stuck to your guns, which is so great. Yeah. And she and I had a really a big conversation about that. She was yeah. like, there will be pressure. There will be pressure. And um, we wrote out a plan and I was like, we're sticking to that. I was like, I don't care how much pressure we get. Yeah. So it's fantastic to have that person there. And, and, you know, I mean, everybody's birth process is their birth process. And I think because of the seven years of waiting and doing it totally on my own, I really did. I just wanted to have a pure sort of experience. Yeah, it was, it was intense. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. What about the rest of you? What was your, um, so I, it was funny, the day that I ended up going to the hospital, um, I was actually on, uh, that morning I lost my mucus plug and I happened to notice. Um, and so I called the OB office and just said, hey, you know, I lost this, I, but I haven't particularly felt movement, should I be concerned? And they said, well, can you come in? And I said, yeah, I can get there, but I was actually on my way to the university so as I'm on my way to the university, I'm calling um, the accompanist for my lesson that morning to let her know, hey, I'm in the, the OB office and I, uh, my, my friend and colleague who was going to be covering for me, he had come in a week early um, because really he was going to shadow me for two weeks mm. and then take over. So like the first week was really him just watching what I was doing with the students and the lessons. And then the next week he was going to do some teaching while I just kind of watched as a guide because I really still had two weeks that I was supposed to be at school. 
So that morning I'm on the way, I am calling him saying, can you handle the lesson without me? I have to go in, they wanna check me out. If everything's okay, I'll be back. So I'm doing this on the way, I go back to my house and get the hospital bags just in case and put them in the car. <laughs> I'm calling my husband who, who's already at work and said, hey, they want me to come in. Can you meet me there? So we ended up with two cars at the hospital, which was an issue. <laughs> um, uh, but my blood pressure was too high. So they said, we want you to go to the hospital. We're going to try to push this along because you are in early labor. But with my blood pressure being way too high, they were nervous about it. So they wanted me in. And of course, this was during a full moon, so they didn't have any room in the hospital. Oh my goodness. And all the babies and all the barometric pressure changed, so they were full. Oh my gosh. Um, so we're sitting in the waiting room, and you know, I'm getting early contractions, you know, waiting for a room to open up. <laughs> um, and the crazy thing was, so they put me on Pitocin to try to speed things up. And they're doing tests and everything. And then they said, oh, you know, after, so I'm there for a while. And actually my mom was flying in that day because she, the flights from my hometown of, uh, in Ohio only flew into Orlando twice a week. So oh, she yeah. had a flight to happen to fly in that day. So that, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, find out well, but, um, they put me on the Pitocin and then everything was coming back normal. My blood pressure had gone back down. And they said, well, you know, if there's not a reason for you to have a baby at 37 weeks and five days, we really don't want you to. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm having the baby. I don't want to go home. Um, so they said, well, we're going to take you off Pitocin, but you're going to have to wait for about an hour. Um, so after that happened, they wanted me to walk. So I get up and my husband and I are walking around um, the, the, the ward. And I said, I really have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so we walk back to the oh, room. No. Literally, I sit down on, on the toilet and my water broke. Oh, <gasps> wow. So, well, I guess I'm not going home. <laughs> so, so it was still like 12 hours later from that is when he decided to show up. <laughs> the students and my colleagues started taking bets on whether he was going to be born on the 5th or the 6th. Well, he waited till the 6th, so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a short version of that. <laughs> I have to say, Jessica, I love hearing these stories, and I love getting, I'm learning things about my colleagues from this. Yeah. If I ever need some Eastern medical advice, <laughs> I know where to go now, so. Seriously, right? Of course. So, um, so my birth uh, with Ansley, I, I read all of the books and I did all of the classes and I really, really had my um, my heart set on having a natural birth. Um, and, and I'll spare some of the details, but she ended up being an emergency C-section um, that, that uh, left some residual trauma for me. Um, and, and I'm really thankful that we that we made it out of it as as well as we did um but that meant um when I got pregnant with my son I had to really do some work and I did some work with my therapist and I um hired a doula and I uh took a hypnobirthing coach uh course but I do want to say this is kind of a side note I did that stuff but with my second pregnancy I also focused a lot more on joy during that whole entire pregnancy uh, because I kind of had lost myself uh, in the years leading up to and then after my daughter's birth. 
And then I had just really found myself and I got pregnant again. So I was like, I didn't want to go down that route. So part of my pregnancy was crocheting and <laughs> rereading the Harry Potter series. I never forced myself to do prenatal yoga unless I really wanted to. Like I just, I did a lot of things that really made me happy. So I want to say that I think that was, that was a piece of it, but definitely the, the therapist helped me uh, recognize all of the ways that, you know, I was saying uh, that I had told myself that my body was incapable. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so important because especially for those listening who are pregnant or looking to have their first child, there are so many, you know, you hit the books, right? There's like so much to learn. Everybody has an opinion. It's like all of this stuff. And that's also why I wanted to start this podcast because everybody's story is different. It's never going to look the same. You can plan, but things might change. And I think it's so cool that you made that decision to just almost have that one word. It was like your affirmation word or something that you just focused on throughout the pregnancy. And I think it probably helped ground you. It did. It did. So I went into Nolan's birth, um, believing that my body was made to give birth, but also recognizing that whatever had to happen would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm so pleased to say, and this is not everyone's story with their second birth, but I was fortunate enough to get to experience a natural vaginal birth. Um, my son. So I got my, I got my V back and, um, and it was, it, it was joyful. It was explosive. It was oh. one of those births where I, I had to tell everyone, no, I'm, I'm advancing. Like, no, we need to leave for the hospital now. You know, it, it moved along so quickly. Um, and, uh, and, and in a way it really helped me heal from my daughter's birth because I was able to see how my body uh, was in a different place. And my baby was in a different place this time around. Mm. And so both of them came into the world how they needed to, and both of them are healthy, perfect children. And I'm still here, so I have a whole lot to be thankful for. Exactly. Oh, I love that. I think that's a really good lesson for everyone. I love that. So the next little section, we're going to dive a little bit more into work and academia, but feel free to dive in. It's not like one person has to explain the whole time. Um, so I want to know how soon did you go back to work? And what did those first few weeks look like? I mean, do they give you guys a certain amount of time off? I, I want to speak to some of the privilege that we have in academia, specifically at UCF, um, that they do give us a couple of options. Um, we can take a traditional um, uh, medical leave. We can also have uh, one semester of, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on, on what they, modified instructional duty. So mm -hmm. where we work out a plan of what our semester looks like. And that semester for some people looks like not teaching at all. Um, for me, I worked in January and February. I was very lucky with both of my children. They were March uh, babies, which meant that mm -hmm. I had maternity leave and then had summer right afterwards. Yeah. Um, and then the third option that UCF gives is a full year of, um, or excuse me, a full semester of paid leave. Um, but that's something that you can only take um, two times. Um, and I do want to say that that is a privilege that's afforded to us as faculty. So with all of these different opportunities, I felt frustrated that my, my colleagues who are staff members um, 
did not have those those same privileges. But when I was negotiating what my leave looked like, um, that that was what I did. I worked in January and February, and then in March I had adjunct takeover for me, um, so that I didn't actually have to go back to work until August um, when my son was five months old, and um, and at that point. Um, I, I also want to add that I had negotiated, like I mentioned earlier, um, that he would be at home part-time, with that he would be only be in daycare part-time. So I'm currently on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday work schedule, though I'm still full-time. Mm -hmm. um, so I just do a lot more work from home and a lot more work in the evenings after bedtime and um, and on weekends. And I'm really thankful for that option and really proud of myself because when I was offered this job, I didn't negotiate anything because I had such imposter syndrome. So <laughs> having my pregnancy, I kind of had a second chance to go in and self-advocate and, um, and was really thankful that it went as well as it did. And going back and clarifying, so you said that you as faculty, meaning as a professor, yes. get these benefits, but you're saying other colleagues that accountants or yeah, people as secretaries, they don't get those same, same options, unfortunate. Yeah. But that is wonderful that they have that for you guys. What an awesome. Yeah. Week. My, my so previous cool. school, um, you got nothing. Um, run wow. by a woman, woman president, founded, <sighs> founded the college, a woman founded the college and um, you got disability leave. And, and, <laughs> I love right. that it's called disability. disability. Oh my god! And you got which 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 is called maternity leave, but they call it that. But the structure of it is identical to disability leave, um, where you get a reduction in pay. Um, yeah, thirty percent reduction in pay for one. Oh and it actually wasn't even a semester; it's a quarter, so it's only ten weeks. Mm. Um, yeah. So I. This is a completely different environment than the one that I left. Yeah. Even even what she had is more than what other people get in in their own. Uh, you know, when I was a high school teacher, I I had to exhaust my sick days um, in order to take any any time off of work. Yeah. That's crazy. And I'll add in for a little perspective on um, where we are now because I started here before, I mean, Vivian just joined us this, yeah, year, this year and I was here um, a couple of years before Elizabeth. And when I started um, here, they didn't have those options for faculty that Elizabeth just mentioned. They basically had nothing in place. Mm. So that has been recent. Um, and so when I started, you know, I knew, well, I want to have a child eventually. And basically the only option at that moment in time was to take your sick leave. So the first six years I worked here, I only took four hours of sick leave so that I would have them wow. saved up. Saved up, wow. <laughs> that time. And you know what I ended up doing, um, because Robbie was born in October, it, it fell in such a way that I had the, I basically kind of took the, the medical leave option, but I would still get paid because I would use my sick time in that. Mm. Um, and I had basically eight weeks till the end of the semester, which is the time that, you know, they kind of give you because they don't know at the time when they prove it, whether you're going to have a vaginal birth or a C-section. So they just mm -hmm. prove it for eight weeks. So you're covered either way. So technically I came back to work on the last day of class, but not really, or the last day of finals, 
because my finals were already done. The person who was covering my classes had already taken care of that. But I technically was back on duty the last day of finals. But then there was the um, holiday. Okay. Right. Perfect. So I, I went back to work in January after having him in October. And in hindsight, I really wish I had taken that next semester off because and, and taken that option that the faculty have where <clears throat> they could get that semester off. Um, there's some politics in how you pay back that semester, but we won't go into that right now. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I felt like a crazy person when I went back because he was only three months old. I, you know, I hadn't set aside enough time to pump at work. I don't, I had not given myself, I didn't realize the demands of my day. I didn't give myself enough time to pump. I mean, I did pump once, but I really should have been pumping more than that. And so, you know, I, I still, I think I've moved past beating myself up for it, but I kind of beat myself up for the fact that my milk dried up at about five months. Well, and the hardest part though, is like, ultimately that's not your fault. I mean, but I was under so much stress mm -hmm. too, and not having the time to pump during the day that there are things that I know now in hindsight that, you know, when hopefully a second one happens, because I still want to have more children that I will you know, go, okay, it takes more time to pump and I'm not going to pack my <laughs> schedule like that. And if I come back as quickly as I did, which I don't know if I'll do that the second time around, that there are things I know better about now. Yeah. It's so much about self-advocating because as Tara was saying, these, these new options are very new and we have, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of the women before us who have fought so hard for those rights for us. Mm -hmm. Um, but because they're so new, um, I had to really, ex I had to research them and then I had to explain them to my supervisor, um, and really, um, really explain how, no, this doesn't mean I could teach online. No, this doesn't like, I'm, I want you, I <laughs> said, I want you to pretend that I'm in a, a coma during this, <laughs> this period, right. That I am not available, you know? Um, and so there is a lot of, a lot of, um, educating that has to happen. And then we have our own, like sometimes we don't know how to self-advocate. So I do, as, as the person on the, the panel, if you will, who has two kids, I did learn so much in between my first and my second for what a pumping schedule looks like, for um, how to not apologize if you have to bring your child somewhere because right. they schedule it at a time when you're going to have your kid with you, you know? And, and we just like, if anyone had to pay, you know, $15 an hour to come to our meetings, uh, you know, if everyone had to pay that, our meeting schedules would look very, very different. You well, know? and that's in, you're talking about childcare. Uh, that's in Orlando. I mean, in yeah. New York, 2025. Uh, yeah. 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 I did the same thing. I went right back to work at three months and I directed a show. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching full time and directing a show. So that's, you know, 12, 16 hour days. Yeah. And same thing. I did not advocate. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't feel that there was any room to advocate because I'm a pretty like, hey, kind of person. Yeah. Uh, but at my school, there was no room, the other mm -hmm. school. And um, my milk dried up too. And I did. I beat myself up. Oh, my mm -hmm. gosh. Mm -hmm. I mean, weeping sessions about oh what a bad God. mother yeah. I was. I can remember crying out on like out on the patio because of just the stress of yeah. everything. And, and what do you guys find is the hardest part, whether it's then or now about being a mom in academia? 
you know, it's because it's, it's the curse and the blessing. You do have some freedom in your schedule, but it does mean your schedule is going to be more irregular. Yes. Um, and so that, that is tricky um, because to some extent you may not, let's say you're the only person who teaches a certain thing. So you're at the mercy of, okay, that thing is in the schedule at this time. Um, so you have to be at that class um, and then you have to make other things fit around it. And then um, for me, because I see students in the private studio too, since I'm a voice teacher, I'm like singing voice, then I have to work around all those students' schedules to make yeah. the lesson fit into that grid. Mm -hmm. um, so like for instance, this semester, I have 17 students in voice lessons that I have to work around all their schedules and I'm working on a show at night, which luckily, my colleagues, you know, that I'm working because I'm the, the vocal director, I just said, I can't be there, you know, two nights in a row is the max. And I really don't want to do that that frequently because of the, you know, the detrimental effect that has on my family life yes. and that balance, which I've gotten smarter about. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things is, is that irregularity? And then how does that work with, you know, a child who needs regularity? Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, one thing that's really hard too is um, even once you're promoted to associate, if you have an idea that you'd like to be a full professor and be promoted again, you know, which comes with a pay increase and of course, you know, notoriety for whatever that is but you're still expected to be doing things in your field. So for instance, I went to a week long um, symposium that was in London this summer. And so I was trying to prep the toddler ahead of time and say, you know, mommy's going on a trip. She'll bring you a surprise, but you'll be with daddy and, you know, we'll talk and all of that. But kind of the after effects of, you know, it's, that was in August, it's October. And sometimes he still goes, mommy going on trip. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, mommy's here. Mommy's here. You know, so that kind of thing is hard to explain to a little person who doesn't have any understanding of why mommy's gone. Yeah, I get that too with um, school during the day. Understandable, right? Um, but with all the rehearsals at night, my my constant refrain from my daughter is going to rehearsal. <laughs> oh, not tonight. But it's just that that irregularity mm -hmm. in all person's life that they're trying to understand. And that is one of the flip sides of academia of balancing the irregularity of the schedule. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll echo all of that. And um, as an assistant professor working towards tenure, it's like they tell you what you need to do to work tenure, to achieve tenure, but there's really no sense of like how high you have to go to like shatter that ceiling, you know? And so, so it is that like, I, I have that drive to just do and do and do to really prove that I want to be here and I deserve to be here. And I look at what some of my, frankly, male and some of them also have children, but my, my male counterparts are able to do, and I'm not able to um, sustain, or I, I should say, I choose not to sustain that level of activity because, because it is so important for me to, um, to prioritize family. I was, I feel like I was a, a kind of workaholic going into being a parent and have, and being a parent has helped me find some more of that balance. Um, so really grateful for that. Um, but yes, absolutely. All of the, for, for me, a lot of my creative work has ended up being 
a lot of writing because that's what I can do at home. Mm -hmm. And I can't always go out of town, but if I write a play, that play can travel on my behalf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but I do, you know, I do still sometimes have to travel and and want to travel. Um, so I'm just trying to. Um, uh, think creatively about that. Um, I'm fortunate that I teach theater for young audiences. So a lot of the theaters that I work for have programming for youth. So I work that into my contract that my daughter comes with me and attends a week of camp. And mm -hmm. then I think like her life is pretty cool when I think right. about how she, how she Travel gets and experience. Yeah. 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 And I have, I, I wanted to mention as I was thinking about this conversation, I have, um, a colleague, she lives in, in Atlanta at a different university who I've, I'm, I've been working on a proposal with, and she has two young children as well. So it's like a comedy of errors as we like, <laughs> we're like Skyping and like, you know, changing diapers and I'm tilting the screen away so that I can nurse, you know, and we're like, it's not, they're not down to sleep yet. Give me 15 more minutes, you know, like the whole yeah. thing. You know, we have an understanding of it and even more in our proposal part of our conversation is if we get this award what's the maximum amount that we're willing to travel what does this look like for our families and to have someone who I'm on this creative journey with who's on that same page of, of mindfulness um, is just such a gift to me and it is like you were saying you can't you, you can't really know until you know what that's like, but I'm thankful to have women in academia with me who, who do know what it's like so that we can like carve our, our paths together. Yeah. And Tara, it was great because I just started this semester mm -hmm. and I was talking to the artistic staff of the show that we're both working on. And it was like, well, Tara's doing these days so that she can be with her family on these days. And I went, oh, good. Then I'll take the other day. <laughs> Perfect. Those days and we can split this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Now, Vivian, I know that you have to get going. Is there anything that you want to add or you want to say before you head out? Oh my gosh. I just want to say thank you. Um, I, this has been a get to know my colleagues in academia yeah. because I am stepping into a new university. Um, understanding that it is much more amenable. Yes, we still have to fight the fight, mm -hmm. um, but it's still more amenable to women who have children is Oh my gosh, what a blessing this morning has been. Thanks, yes. you guys. Good. Thank I'm so glad. Nice. Thanks yeah. for chatting with us. Hey, running by. <laughs> Go for it. We'll continue chatting while she heads out. Um, so one thing that I was curious about is, have you all found that your work and time away from home, now I know that it's sort of segmented because as you said, it's not a set schedule, but that time away from home has benefited the quality of your time when you're at home, like just getting that freedom and getting to be a mom and a female in a university, when you come home, does that improve your, your every day? I'll say for me, most days, yes. And, um, I, I want to plug a book. Um, I know how she does it. Um, and I can send you the info for the book. It did it. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. A, yeah. It did a, a, time study of women who have children um, under 12 who make uh, six figures or more, which is not me, um, and is a very small percentage of, of our population, but, but looking at how they, how they do what they do, and um, part of what it taught me is that if we look in 24 hours, 
then we're often not going to be happy with what we see. We're not going to feel balanced. But we, if we look in broader arcs, so if I look at a week or if I look at a semester or I look at a year, then absolutely I wouldn't have it any other way because um, I do get to travel with my children for work sometimes and I get to be home with them for much of the summer. And then I also get to like teach and work with all of these young, eager um, artists who, who want to learn and grow. I get to create, um, I get to write. I, I am fulfilled in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and I'm just so thankful that I have a job that doesn't really look the same from one day to the next and, and where I'm constantly challenged and constantly growing myself. Um, and especially, um, I, well, I should say, for both of my children, regardless of gender, as a feminist, I'm thankful for them to um, to have that modeled in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the fact that you know, you're you're taking on the world, and they get to see that inspiration, and they get to see hard work firsthand. Yeah, and I think for sure, I um, you know, I was thinking about how my work shifted uh, teaching in theater for young audiences. I get to work on on multiple planes, right? So I'm teaching students who are working with youth. I also do a lot of working with youth myself. So that means that in much of what I do, I'm picturing my daughter and I'm picturing mm-hmm. my son. Yeah. Who are they and where are they in the audience? Where are they in the classroom? Um, and so I think it's like, it's no surprise that um, my work, we haven't really talked about this, but my work has evolved to really have a social justice lens and that is because I'm picturing my children, right? That's because I want a better world for them and I'm going to use my art to do that. Um, so Absolutely. yeah, I find, I find it really empowering. And I, I think for me, even though I did feel, as I mentioned, a little crazy when I came back to work, I was grateful to make my mind work that way again and to, right. you know, to continue. Because I mean, yes, we work in a college, but they're just big kids. You know, exactly. <laughs> by by the law, they're adults, but you know, they're they are still learning and they are still growing. And so I get to come and you know work with my 17 other children um, <laughs> exactly. and and help them grow and change and develop and overcome. And I think um, you know, not only having the things that still allow me to grow as an artist and as an, an educator, but also it, you know, as um, Elizabeth mentioned, it kind of forces you when you, when you come home that your family is your focus. And she mentioned she was kind of a workaholic going into it. And I think I was too, Mm. that you can't get things done for work when, you know, a toddler says, come play cars, mommy. Yeah. So you go play cars. Mm. And, and it forced me into having a little more balance that I probably should have had in my life before, yes. but the nature of what we did made me feel like I couldn't. Um, so, I mean, there's still times where it feels like I don't know how I'm going to get everything done. And sometimes I don't, and I'm learning to be okay with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think a cool thing that you mentioned earlier, Elizabeth, and I don't know, Tara, if you've done this yet, but the fact that your kids get to be exposed to these things and be a part of it is also really cool. You know, I mean, they get to probably come to shows and listen in on rehearsals and it's actually reminding me and it's bringing me back. I'm going to have to call my mom after this <laughs> because um, my mom, uh, she recently retired 
a couple of years ago, but she was the head of the music department in high school. Um, she was a choral director and then moved into that position. And she also worked at a um, college doing uh, choir and choral and she teaches voice lessons and the list goes on and on for her. Cause I think like many educators, it's so ingrained in your heart to give and to serve. And so I don't think you can ever um, like just do the minimum, you know, there's never <laughs> like, yeah, there's never like the clock in eight hours and then you're like, I'm done. I'm out of here. It's, there's always something more pulling you, which is a beautiful thing. But um, I'm being reminded of, of course, I don't remember it, but my mom always would tell me she would do the musical and we still have this like big, long basket with a, I was actually watching, um, cause it's a separate talk, topic, but I was actually watching Handmaid's Tale the other day and they had this exact basket. And I was like, that's what I was in. So my mom would take this like super long basket, essentially like a carrier and would just take me to the rehearsals. And I would just sit there and I would cry and she would hold me and she would teach and she would educate and she would put on a show. And then as time went on, I was there and I was running around as a toddler and seeing these kids and being inspired by these kids. And then in addition, when I was even older, when I was in high school, she then put me in some of the shows. And so then I got to hang out with like the, some of the high school kids and that was just the coolest thing. And so I got to be inspired by them too. So I find that as your kids will grow, if you're able and the school is, you know, their minds and eyes are opened to the fact that you being an employee is going to mean that your family is a part of this yes. community. And so you, I think you'll find that as your kids go to these rehearsals and, and see and um, socialize with your students, it's just going to really benefit them. And I think that's one of the beautiful sides of working in academia, especially in the theater community, because it might not be the same if you teach like physics at a college or something. But either way, um, I think that's really cool and a really neat blessing for your kids. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely, um, yes, you're right, and I hope you're right, and Ansley gets a double dose of that because she also attends high school rehearsals with my husband and then and then yeah. does stuff with me. Um, uh, and I hope it's really um, a gift to my students as well. And to be honest, the days that I have to bring one of my children, if it's an inconvenience to my students, then so be it because um, because uh, I believe in inclusion in in the educational space and and that's a part of that is that sometimes we need to bend our expectations and one of the ways we need to bend is for people who have families that they that they have to care for but I, I hope it's a it's um, a benefit above all else to my students to see that um, the a visible, working parent. Um, I know that in my own course syllabi, I've added um, a statement about students who have children um, because I have found that some students will not disclose if they have children and um, if they're missing my class um, because of a scenario where they could just as easily have brought their child to my class, then I want them to know that they have they have permission to do so on an emergency That's basis. really wonderful. So yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, it's just recognizing like our, a lot of our students like truly uh, struggle with, um, with mental health issues because there's so much pressure mm -hmm. put on 
um, actors and, and theater makers to perform, um, that the more that we send a message that uh, they're more than a theater artist, their entire life is yeah. well in this space. Mm. I, I hope that that serves them well. Yeah, absolutely. And gosh, being an actor in New York professionally, it's like, that's what needs to continue to happen because you need to be a full person. Um, What is some advice that you ladies would give for working moms in academia or moms who are pregnant, just had a baby going back into work? What advice would you give them? Um, I think, you know, learning from our, from our experiences that you may not know what you need and it's okay to tell people that. Um, there's also a, it's a secret Facebook group. So obviously people can't find it unless someone who's in it as them, but for academic mamas yes. um, and, you know, reading some of the stories about people saying, well, you should still be doing this when you're on leave or you, you're going to fall behind that if, if that's truly the environment you're in, you may have to seek another environment to go to mm-hmm. because that is going to tear your mind apart yes. um, and, and possibly your family apart. Yes. And it's not worth that, which feels very scary um, in academia to walk away from something. Um, but also, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, I, when I came back, I had to bring um, my son with me on Tuesdays because his daycare center wasn't open yet. Like it was a new one that was being built and it got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So I had someone to watch him Monday, Wednesday and Friday, but I didn't when I had office hours on Tuesdays. So he just came to school. Um, And I think, you know, more people will be open to that if they see that happening. And so, you know, doing that and, and, Putting it out there, I think, could be important for other moms in academia that they that they bring the baby, that they bring the toddler. I mean, my son's been at rehearsals and things too when that needed to happen. So um, bring them when you have to, so that people realize, hey, these little people need somewhere to go to, and their mom is doing the best job to try to serve them and to serve the students and, and the institutions. So um, show up with them and don't be afraid to stand up for yourself, um, even when it feels scary. Yeah, Yeah. make that stand. Yeah, I'm gonna echo that. And we've talked about it a lot um, in in this episode is the idea of um, self-advocating. And for me, um, I I mentioned my rainbow babies. My son was, was my fifth pregnancy. So similar to Vivian, like I wasn't waiting anymore. Like I'm, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to figure out how this fit into my school year or how this um, fit into my tenure journey. I was just going to have a baby if, you know, if, if God willing, you know? Um, And so it it is, I'm going to say this from a a privileged perspective, because maybe not everyone feels like they can afford to do this, but like live your life and then recognize that if you're in the right place, your life will fit in, you know? Um, and, and I had to make the decision that like, if this was really going to impact my ability to be tenu- to have tenure, then I didn't want tenure. 
not at this particular institution, you know? And so thankfully that doesn't seem to be the culture that we have here, but I, I had to make the choice to prioritize it first. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say, I love that you um, mentioned rainbow babies and you've mentioned it twice. If you haven't gotten a chance, um, one of my previous episodes with Sarah Krieg, she, um, her story is amazing and she's hilarious as well. So you should go back and listen to it, but she refers to her first child as a rainbow baby as well. And she's also a filmmaker. And so she made a film with her son and he explains how he's a rainbow baby. And it is just the most, oh my gosh, it just, it, it warms and makes your heart smile. It's so cute. I think I actually put it up on Instagram. So you could, if you have Instagram, you could check that out, but, oh, it's adorable. Um, and the other thing I was going to say to any mamas who are listening, who are in academia, I'm sure, um, you could reach out to me at the pumping podcast at gmail.com and I can pass you along to these ladies and maybe they could invite you to that secret mama Absolutely. academia Facebook group. Um, or even to just have someone to talk to, of course. Um, it's always important because it seems like it's really nice. You guys have such a community over there at UCF. I mean, I'm so happy that they're here now because I mean, obviously I, you know, have only had a child now for two years, but when, when I was hired, there really wasn't in, there was one other colleague who had, um, young, younger children, uh, her children are, um, all adopted. Um, but there really wasn't anybody my age. There really wasn't anyone with, you know, the aspirations of having children or any of that. So having them come in after I've been here and now having more support and feeling more surrounded by that community and that family, um, I, it certainly has made a difference in terms of my mindset. And I hope for them too to the same thing. Yeah, I think that we're shifting the culture. And then I think that we also don't realize how, like we've talked about it, but we don't really realize how much it has already shifted. Um, and and I just, uh, you know, I, I feel like we all have valuable things to offer the field and what a shame it would be had we, had we been passed over, you know? And I have heard of people not even being passed over because they have kids, but being passed over because they're a woman of childbearing age, you know, and the possibility that they might want to have kids. And then mm. what does that mean, you know? And, and uh, just like, I, I try to imagine our department without, without my colleagues' voices and, and I just can't. So I'm thankful that, that we do have the culture that we have here. Yeah, that's so wonderful. So I only have one final question. Do you guys have anything you want to add before I ask that? Uh, I'm, I mean, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Oh this yeah, of course. Exciting. Thank you. And I love what you do. I love this podcast and I'm oh, that it exists and can't wait to dig back through some old episodes and, and listen more. So you're yeah. doing great things. Thanks. Please do. And, and share with any mamas out there that, that might need a little bit of a just comfort in other, other mom stories. Um, so my last question, and I'm bummed I didn't get a chance to ask Vivian. So I think what I'm going to do is email her the question and have her respond. And then I'll play it at the end of the episode. I'll read her response. So my favorite question at the end is to ask, diving into the future a little bit, what is something that you want to leave for your child or children when they are 18? What are some words that you want to leave for them? 
Um, I hope Robbie knows how incredibly loved he is and that I'm already so proud of him now and I can't imagine being anything but proud of him with how he grows and develops into whatever it is he wants to do um, because I just think he's the coolest kid. I can't wait to see him at 18. Oh my God. <laughs> Hair is making my, me like tear up. I think all of those things about my kids too. I was also thinking about this question in the context of our conversation about being a working parent. And so I'm gonna say something that's a different tone. And that is, should you choose to get married? Should you choose to have children? Please marry a feminist. (laughs) 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 Because it has been a, a journey, but also a joy to really see my husband evolve as a, as a feminist and to see him, um, reconcile with the um, narrow uh, gender expectations that that he had modeled growing up and and um, and I just I wish that um, for anyone um, of any gender that they should feel like um, they have they have a partner who wants wants the world for them yeah well I think that word feminist I almost wish we could create a new word you know, because I feel like that word gets such a bad rap and that word makes it scary for people or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's more the support of women, the encouragement of women and the education of who women are, what they need. And I don't feel like that's what's usually pops into someone's head when they say like, oh, they're a feminist. It's more like, oh no, you know, and that's just history that needs to change. But I think it's really great that both of your children get to grow up in an environment that's supportive like that. And, and you're providing that for all of your students too. So you're reaching many, many, uh, many, many students and future parents along the way and encouraging that as well. I think that's so great. Trying to. Ladies, this has been so fun. Thank you so much. I, oh, I loved it. And um, I I honor, I applaud you for the work that you do, not only as a mom, of course, but also as a, a professor, as an assistant, as a working professor, um, and a female. And I think it's really encouraging for women who haven't had children to know that they can make it work any way that they want to make it work. It's just a matter of if they want to be a mom and if they do, they'll be away. Yes. I'm so grateful. We got a chance to talk. Oh, thank you. Us too. It's been great. As promised, I wanted to read you Vivian's words to her daughter at 18. So here they are. A gap year is a good idea. It's okay to transfer. Changing your mind or your major is not a bad thing. Take more humanities courses. Specialization might be necessary, but integration is where we learn how to be a citizen. And always remember, we are the sum of our failures. They are wholly our own. Who else is going to claim them? So fail well and fail often. We learn the most from them. And truly embrace your vulnerability. That is your strength. And girl, sing out and speak up. And then she added at the end, Oh man, this has me tearing up. 18. 18? Are there still convents? 
is so sweet. Thank you to Vivian, Elizabeth, and Tara for a wonderful conversation. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms, and I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping. <laughs>